Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball at the bar with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here, for fresh conversations, got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys, got you covered like you being guarded by payers. From the glove to the claw, and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar, got your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Let's get it. What up, ballers? Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool. Drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks, and let's go. I want to give a shout-out real quick to Progressive G. I see you here in the chat. Also, shout-out to everybody else that's watching. Thank you guys for joining us. Calvin, happy Monday. Happy Monday. How was your weekend? It was a good weekend. I got some work done, got to watch some basketball. Exciting stuff here. And uh, Warriors win, which, mm -hmm. weird, I watched the game at home. I know we watched game one at a bar. What does that mean? It means the series is even. It does. It does mean mean the series is even. <laughs> and the Celtics got smoked. Maybe I'm just looking a little bit too far beyond there. But that's okay. Welcome. Happy Monday, everybody. It is June 6th, 6-6-22. What a weird date. Thank you for joining us on today's show. We got a busy one for you. We're going to recap the weekend, specifically Sunday's uh, Celtics loss to the Warriors in Golden State. We're going to talk about the Draymond Green effect and uh, has he made every one of his teammates better. We're going to talk about Adam Silver and discussions regarding expansion and potentially shorting the regular or shortening the regular season. Rasheed Wallace joins the Lakers as an assistant coach. Michael Beasley signs with the Shanghai Sharks again. I don't know how many times I've heard that. <laughs> uh, Quinn Snyder officially steps down from the Jazz. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell, what that means for him, Rudy Gobert. We're going to talk about the finals now being tied 1-1 and what to expect from that. And then we will uh, end the show, as always, with Q&A. So, Calvin, let's jump right into it here. Weekend recap. Sunday was game two. Boston was up 1-0 heading uh, into Golden State for game two. Golden State pulls out a win, 107-88 over the Boston Celtics. Steph Curry has 29 points in this game, 28 for Jason Tatum. More importantly, they tie up the series 1-1. Boston still has home court advantage, but I want to hear your thoughts regarding this game. Uh, this was a, in my opinion, a, a classic, like exactly what you would have expected in terms of a response game from a team that's won multiple championships. Like they, they came out much more uh, physical right from the beginning. You know, Draymond was definitely trying to flex both muscles, his brain and his <laughs> biceps during that game, trying yep. to get under people's skin. Uh, Curry was great again. And you know, the, the Warriors ran away with it. This series 
really has come down to two quarters. Game one, fourth quarter, Boston wins 40-16. to Game two, third quarter, Warriors win 35-14. That, that's the difference right now in both these games. Yeah, you mentioned Draymond Green, and we talked about him in game one. Oh, four from three-point range. He only shoots one three in this game. He does miss it. Nine points for him, five rebounds, seven assists, a steal, a block, a turnover. Three personal fouls also had a technical foul. I want to talk about I'll, – I'll wait a little bit, but I, I eventually want to talk about the Draymond Green and uh, how, I guess, confrontational he was with the referees, with other players, whether he should have gotten a second technical or not. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. One thing that it's really concerned me with the Golden State Warriors, and you know, I'm talking concerns, and they won this game, which is a good thing, but it's their free throw percentage. 70% in this game. They didn't shoot well game one. Like I mentioned, this team has three guys that shoot over 90% from, from the free throw line. Free throws are really important, especially in the finals, especially in a close game. This game was not a close game. You mentioned the Warriors completely blew them out in the third quarter. 35 points for Golden State, only 14 for Boston. What are you seeing here from the from the free throw line from Golden State? It's been really strange. You know, I don't I don't have an answer for it. When guys that we're talking about as some of the greatest, if not the greatest, free throw shooters of all time are consistently missing free throws, I I don't think there is an answer for that. It it's certainly something that I think you have to be worried about if you're Golden State, like you mentioned, in a close game. Um, but there, for me, when I look at the Warriors, there are other statistics that I check first to see, kind of get a barometer on how the team is doing. And those would be rebounds and points in the paint and turnovers. In game one, they lost all of those categories. In game two, they were out-rebounded, but just by one. Uh, they only had 12 turnovers, which is well below what their season average has been. And they dominated in points in the paint. The, when the Warriors do that, they usually win. And they scored 33 points off of the 19 forced yes. turnovers of yeah. the Boston Celtics, which is huge. Boston only scored 15 off turnovers. And uh, Golden State was up by 29 points at one point in this game and actually finishes uh, – you know, almost almost with a 20-point victory. It's, for me, the main difference between Game 1 and Game 2 is is going to be the starters, and that is for the Boston Celtics. 28 points for Jason Tatum, 17 for Jalen Brown. But Al Horford, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, six total points combined, and only 12 points off the bench from Derek White, who was by far their most, uh, you know, contributor at least as far as scoring goes off the bench grant williams was number two with six points and then you look at golden state almost all five starters in double figures draymond green only nine points but 11 for wiggins 12 for looney 29 for curry 11 for thompson and then the bench production is basically matched by just jordan Poole. 17 points for him five of nine from the field but you're right calvin this game is basically the more experienced team took the hit in game one. They figured out a way to bounce back, and they completely dominated this game, too. This was a send-a-message game to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think the Warriors just did a, a, a much better job 
you know, the Celtics still hit 15 threes in this game and shot 40% from the field. Uh, the Warriors matched it with 15 for, uh, of their own. And I, I just, yeah, in the third quarter, which in the past, you know, when Golden State was on that dynasty run or whatever, just like we used to talk about with the Bulls in the 90s and stuff, it was in the playoffs, you come out of the locker room and you you just immediately squash your opponent. You give them zero hope that they're going to win the game. You totally dominate the third quarter, and then you you can kind of coast almost to a win in that fourth quarter because the other team is shell-shocked from the way that you came out of the locker room. That's kind of what I saw from Boston in this third quarter. And, and when a team is raining threes, which, by the way, I think we had our first 35-foot three yeah, made in this series, so you only need seven more <laughs> now to to hit your prediction. There was a half court buzzer beater made too, but that wasn't Curry. No, I think that's the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, pool Jordan yeah. Pool at yeah. the end of the third quarter. So you're you're almost there. But when a team does that, you know that's demoralizing to an opponent, like because y- you almost feel there's nothing you can do, right? A guy's gonna shoot from thirty feet away. You know, I'm going to let them shoot nine times out of ten. But this team is unlike any other team in where they can make two or three or four of those almost in a row or in like a five-minute stretch. And that's the same as, you know, just a huge run where a team is throwing alley-oop lobs and they just can't be stopped. They're getting offensive rebounds, all that stuff. So that's what it looked like to me with Boston. They were just completely demoralized because – Steph Curry has been incredible in this series. Mm-hmm. Jordan Poole had a much better game, too. They still haven't really gotten much from Klay Thompson overall, which we can talk about that later. I, they will need him, I think, at some point in this series. But uh, it, Golden State just did a better job of m- making the adjustments from game one to game two. They stayed really, really hot. And it's the combination of them being able to get to the basket so easily. You know, Steph has all five guys watching him on defense on every play, and yet he is still able to get into the lane for a shot either himself or a dump off to one of these guys, Looney, Green, Wiggins, all that stuff. So the the Celtics are trying a bunch of different things on him. They're letting Horford play him one-on-one without really much help on the perimeter. That is a terrible idea, I think. They need Mm -hmm. to, to move away from that as fast as they can. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what kind of response Boston gives in front of their home crowd in game three. Let's talk some more about Draymond Green. I, I see Progressive G here in the chat says Draymond Green should have been ejected. He was playing unhinged. Let's talk about Draymond Green because he was the one that was the most vocal after game one saying, you know, nobody or even before game one, nobody's beat us complete or healthy. And then after game one, throws shade at a bunch of the players on the Celtics saying they're not going to shoot like this again, which he was right in terms of game two. They didn't shoot yeah, that well. Yeah, for, for one game. But we saw him get tangled up with Grant Williams in the first half of this game, picks up a technical foul. Most people, when they have one technical, they kind of uh, slow their roll a little bit or, or kind of watch themselves. Draymond Green is not one of those people. Did you see the play late in the game where Draymond got into it with Jalen Brown? Yes. And he, like, put his feet on him and shoved him and grabbed his leg and all this stuff. Was that deserving of a second technical? Because, you know, listening to announcers, they were mixed too, right? Like, one of them was like, oh, yeah, that, that that's a foul. You can't let a guy do like that. Draymond is 
straight up bullying the Celtics at this point, pushing them around. The referees need to take control of this game. And then the other half is like, well, is what he really did worthy of getting ejected from the game? Like technical aside, is it worth getting ejected? And they're like saying, I think it was, I think it was Jeff, which shout out to Jeff. He's back from COVID after missing only one game. Uh, and he sounded horrible in that game seven, <laughs> by the way. But he says, that's the difference between a good official and a bad official is a good official takes into account everything around you in terms of like, he's already got a technical. I don't want to eject him. So maybe even though what he did is worthy of a technical, it's not worth an ejection. So I'm not going to call that weird things here. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's hard to give like a, a right or wrong answer on because so much of it is arbitrary really, as you just mentioned, what, what's the grand scheme of, of everything going on? Um, you know, d is something really an ejectable offense? Do you, do you want to, you also have to try to keep the peace, right? As an, as a group of officials in a playoff game or an NBA finals game. So I'll, I'll just say this. The one thing that Draymond has going for him in these situations is what you mentioned first when talking about this. He plays like this all the time. It's not a, uh, you know, oh, we're down by 15. All of a sudden I have to be Draymond Green and, and try to intimidate people or get in somebody's face or something like that. He does it from the beginning tip, which I say that is an advantage for him because that means that officials expect that all the time, which it's less eye-popping. It's less jarring when it does mm -hmm. happen, right? In those moments, I feel like the more uh, jarring an act or an action might be on the court, that could mean the whistle for a technical or an ejection is quicker. So in that regard, this helps him in these situations. Do I think that this individual incident was enough for him to get ejected? Probably not. I mean, the foul itself... It, it's a foul, but I there's I don't see any way you can say he deserves a technical for that foul. Like mm -hmm. it's an NBA Finals game, he it's a hard closeout. You're not going to let a guy take an open three. I understand the rule, and that's why it's a foul. You can't come down in a guy's landing space, all that stuff. It just so happens that they end up on top of each other afterwards, which again, not to, in my opinion, a technical worthy of an ejection. It just happens. Then the the tussle after that. Jalen Brown saying he tried to pull my pants down, all of this stuff. That's where you get into this extracurricular stuff, and yep. then it's harder to decide. I mean, I think you can make a case for both ways. Like, if he was ejected, it's Draymond Green. I don't think anybody would be sitting here saying, I feel bad for the guy. He shouldn't have been ejected, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But if – well, Warriors fans would be saying that. But if he doesn't get ejected, you know, again, we're sitting here having the same conversation. Did he deserve an ejection? I don't know. Yeah, maybe he did, something like that. So I, I'm happy that he didn't get ejected just because I don't want that to become a bigger story than what's happening on the court mm -hmm. necessarily. But I also think I saw, a, I forget if it was on Instagram or Twitter, somebody saying that Steve Kerr better go to Draymond in between games two and three and say, hey, look, man, we really do need everything that you bring from an intensity standpoint uh, X is an O standpoint, all of that. We need it. Yeah. But do you really want to get in another situation where you get suspended possibly, or you get to miss the third and fourth quarter of a game and we end up losing and then we go on to lose the series? What are people going to say 
to you about you if that happens again. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. And you go back to the quote from him before the final started where he's like, nobody's ever beat us whole. And he goes back to talk about that Cleveland series, and he's like, well, I was I was suspended for a game, so we didn't count as whole. Draymond, that's on you, dude. Like, you yeah. literally tried to sack-tap LeBron James <laughs> after kicking two other people in the nuts during your run to the finals. Yeah. Now we saw you get into it with the Mavericks in the last series. That got it pretty intense. The referees had to kind of calm that one down. Um, we saw the Grizzlies situation as well. Now we're seeing the finals. This Boston team is much more physical than a lot of those other th teams, so I think that they will kind of fight back, and then the referees are probably going to have to kind of, uh, you know, over overstep themselves to kind of bring it back. But as far as, like, was that deserving of an ejection? Like, I think that that is a stupid way to look at it. I really do. Like, because you picked up the first technical for doing something. So two technicals, you're out. So maybe the second technical, that situation maybe was not deserving in itself of an ejection. But if it's deserving of a technical, give them a technical. And the two technicals equals an ejection. That's your fault for picking up the technical early yeah. on. Like, you get two for a reason. Now, I get where he's coming from, and I want to read a quote from you here. Draymond says, this is the NBA Finals. Like I said, I wear my badge of honor. It's not that I'm saying they necessarily treat me different. I've earned differential treatment, and I enjoy that. I embrace that. But I'm never going to let someone stand over me. I'm a man first. My kids are in the stands. I don't play those types of games. So whatever happens at that point happens. <laughs> This sounds like a quote from the malice at the palace yeah. to me, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. And this article by Yahoo kind of goes on and say, says Draymond has earned differential treatment by acting so wildly over the years. Referees tend to punish a player only for exceeding whatever line has been established for himself. Draymond Green has successfully pushed his line so far beyond the normal bounds that he gets basically superstar calls is what they're saying is, you know, if you're just, Oh, that's Draymond green. He yells at me the entire game long. And that's become normal versus a guy that's been quiet his whole career. And then he starts yelling at you and you're like, Oh, you're not supposed to be yelling. That's a technical or that's an ejection. Has it gone too far? Oh yeah. It's definitely gone too far. And, and this is not, this is not just a Draymond Green thing. This is with the entire league. The amount of complaining that's done, the amount of uh, you know guys, players getting in officials' faces, yelling after every single play. I mean, yes, some guys like Draymond maybe take that a step further, but I, this is a league-wide problem when it comes to players players feeling too much empowerment on the court itself, mm -hmm. like. Draymond, again, might be the poster child for this, but it's not just a Draymond Green thing. It's a league-wide thing. Yeah. Draymond is enemy number one for me if I'm talking about this <laughs> issue because he is definitely abusive to referees, and I've seen that over and over and over again. And you're right. Kurt needs to step up and say, listen, Draymond, we appreciate everything that you do, but cool it a little bit because we need you on the court. 
And that could be, it's almost like the DeMarcus Cousins thing in, in terms of like, what you bring is so great, but then there's this other side of you too. And, you know, luckily for Draymond Green throughout his career, what he brings on the court and off the court is, is greatly exceeded the other issues, right? DeMarcus Cousins, you couldn't say that that was always true. So as long as he's able to kind of keep those balances together, I think we've only seen a few situations where it's kind of boiled over. The Kevin Durant thing is one of them. Um, but Draymond Green, I think, was definitely instrumental in them winning this game too. Um, oh, absolutely. But he, he was much better yeah, just playing, himself playing on the court. He was much better in game two than he was in game one. But the the referees got to keep this under control, man. They 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 can't let him go out and just bully other teams and other players. Absolutely. Draymond Green might be the only player in NBA history that is used the same way an enforcer is used in hockey and like an integral part of the offense. Yeah. I mean, Dennis Rodman, you know, different different player um you know some of the same characteristics people bring up very physical Mm -hmm. in your face kind of guy great rebounder great defensive defensive player uh you know really knew how to use his body and get under people's skin he just didn't really talk that much yep um and he also wasn't the guy they didn't give him the ball at the top of the key and said okay we're running our offense through you now find jordan and pippen for you know, easy baskets at the bucket. Draymond is used in both of those ways. It's it's incredible, actually. And normally on a team, your bruiser or your enforcer is a guy that can get ejected and doesn't really affect yeah. your team that much. Draymond is not that guy. They lost the finals potentially because of a suspension of his. But for some reason, he gets this preferential treatment that he thinks that he deserved and he's earned. And he doesn't end up getting ejected in these games, which is fascinating to me how it doesn't happen. You got a quote written down here from Colin Cowherd about Draymond, the Draymond effect. He has made every one of his teammates better. You want to elaborate on that? Well, yeah. Actually, the full quote or the full conversation on his show was what really prompted me to bring this up because he says, guys – he names names. Guys like John Wall and Russell Westbrook have never made any one of their teammates better, but Draymond has made every one of his teammates better. Mm. Um, and, I, well, I don't agree with the statement overall. Um, I do think, first of all, this is it's just a very difficult thing to talk about, right? Like, how do you quantify how much better someone made their teammates? Mm-hmm. You can look for numbers like assists, assists to a specific player, assists in certain situations, all that stuff. And that'll give you like some of the answer. But then there's all this other stuff that is immeasurable. I mean, people would say that Jordan made all of his teammates better because either they feared him or because they won. They won. <laughs> and he and he was so com- demanding of everything they did, whether it was in practice or whether it was in a game. Um, if you didn't do it the way that he wanted you to do it, mm-hmm. then you weren't going to be around. And also because you did it the way he wanted you to do it, you were ready in the moment to, to you know, do whatever the, the team needed you to do to win. Yep. Though you can't measure any of those things. So I find it impossible to believe that John Wall or Russell Westbrook have never made any one of their teammates better. I think that's a complete load of crap. Um, and I also think it's 
facetious to say that Draymond Green has made every single one of his teammates better. Yes, does he does he get Steph Curry the ball in the right position to get a shot off? Yes. Does mm-hmm. that directly make him Steph better? Yes and no. Does like, Steph need that? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a combination of things, you know. Uh, they wouldn't have won all they they wouldn't have made the finals five straight years if they didn't have all of those guys together on the same team. Yeah. So I, I think Colin is putting Draymond a little too high in the airspace for what he's trying to say here. Um, but it, it's an interesting conversation, and I think that it's one that we have too much in sports. Mm-hmm. Like, the, oh, this guy is such a great leader or such a great player because he makes his teammates better. Yeah. Guys will want to be better to play with great players. They, the, that Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, they, they motivate guys without doing anything, without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Just, just walking into the building motivates guys to be better. So I think it's a, a really tough conversation to have. Um, but I thought it was interesting that, he, that Colin Coward is specifically throwing all these other point guards under the bus. Yeah, and it's funny how you wait until those point guards have like a down year or a bad year yeah. where they both play incredibly horrible yeah. and Draymond's back in the finals to make this statement. I I mean, I, I agree. I don't believe in the absolutes, right? In the like everybody or nobody or all this, but I do think that Draymond has made a lot of his teammates better. Um, I think that this team has had a lot of success because of Draymond. I think Draymond's an incredible player and I would love to have him on my team. But he's a straight-up asshole, in my opinion. And any team that's playing against Draymond Green hates Draymond Green. The point on Steph Curry, like, yeah, maybe the championships and stuff like that wouldn't have happened without Draymond Green. But Draymond Green, in my opinion, did not make Steph Curry a better player. Like, maybe practicing with him as opposed to not practicing with with all-stars makes a difference because like you practice against guys it definitely helps you and improves you and pushes you and all this but do i think that steph curry would have achieved what he's achieved individually without draymond green probably uh but maybe not as far as like team success and and stuff like that but uh you know i'm i'm not a huge fan of colin cowherd and and a lot of those guys that just go on tv to say stuff but uh yeah it's um Interesting situation. Draymond is a polarizing figure, that's for sure. Progressive G says, is Draymond Green good enough to be the best player on a playoff team? No. That's a tough question uh, for me. Playoff team, maybe. Finals team, hell no. Is there any team that made the playoffs this year that you would consider Draymond to be the best player on if you put put him on that team? I'd have to look at the list. I'd have to look at the list. I'm just seeing like a situation where uh, years ago they were mentioning a potential trade to Detroit um, because that's where Draymond went to school, right? Um, And I could see a situation where Draymond leads a young Detroit team to the playoffs with maybe two or three You you put him on Detroit tomorrow, he's still not the best player on their team. Yeah, well, maybe (laughs) not now, but I'm just saying like maybe two years ago, three years ago, that that would be possible. But Draymond Green is over the hill, in my opinion, and I think, you know, we've seen Clay Thompson decline here, but I think Draymond's going to have the steepest decline and the quickest uh, because I, I don't know if his game 
ages that well, like guys like Curry and Thompson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, anybody who's shooting is their best attribute automatically is going to last longer than all these other guys in the league. Yep. All right, let's talk about Adam Silver. He mentioned a few things during a press conference right before the finals started. Uh, First off was expansion, how he's potentially looking to expand the league, maybe two more teams. He also talked about the WNBA and how the WNBA is going to have a lot more expansion in in their future uh, because there's not as many teams and they kind of want to get out and, and, uh, and kind of expand the brand. I know Sacramento is one of the cities that wants to bring like the Monarchs back and a bunch of those other teams. Another thing he talked about was shortening the NBA season, which was kind of weird for me because the past few years, maybe pre COVID we had all these players that wanted to kind of manage themselves, manage their seasons. They needed some time to rest or time off while the NBA just seemed to be adding more back to backs, tightening schedules, making things a little bit more difficult on the players and actually finding teams for not sit or not playing or, or resting their best players. COVID kind of changed everything, right? Like we've seen these outbreaks. We've seen guys just say, Oh, I don't want to play or, or I have a personal thing or all these. And we don't really hear much more about it. Adam Silver says that he is not against shortening the NBA season to reduce the frequency of injuries, back-to-backs, stuff like that. What are your thoughts on this, Cal? Uh, this is another tough topic. Uh, it's a lot of people are are very have already been very outspoken on it, whether they feel one way or the other. Um, and I thought C.J. McCollum said something pretty interesting on first take earlier in that in order for any, whether it's a business or uh, a brand or, you know, anything like that, in order for you to survive for a long time, you have to be willing to adapt and change Mm -hmm. over time. People don't like change. So that, that's the first thing that why everyone is going to call out, you know, Oh, I'm old school. You got to play 82 games. Uh, You're not a true champion if you don't go through the 82 games or whatever. In the old days, these guys, they or the new guys are coddled too much. You know, they're babied. The old guys would would, uh, play on one leg and all this stuff. That's fine to have that opinion, but you just don't like change. I mean, and that's that's for everybody. It's a Mm -hmm. human nature thing. I work at a bar, at a restaurant, at a hotel, that's had the same cocktails on the menu for over 10 years. And so we just recently decided to change it because we have new managers in here who are like, this is dumb. Why have we been making the same stuff for 10 years? Let's put a new list out. The bartenders were furious because they've been working there for 30 years and they've been making the same 10 drinks every day for 30 years. So one little change like that automatically throws their whole world into um, you know, a, a giant mess and they can't handle it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with any, any business trying to make any type of change. So I, I just think that the pe- most of the time people are going to be upset about changing this. It's not really because they care that there's 82 games versus 72 games. They just don't want to see it changed. Yeah. For the NBA, there's a lot of actual obvious reasons why they don't want to change it. Money is the biggest one, mm-hmm. right? They're going to lose money if they take games mm-hmm. away. 
the real issue here is can we prove that shortening the season or fewer games is going to have a direct result on injuries, a, a benefit impact on injuries? Because whether you care about 82 games versus 62 games, what everybody should care about is seeing the best players yep. play for an entire season or for 99, 95% of the season. So that I don't know how you go about measuring that or finding out that answer, but that's the, the answer to this problem. Will it have a direct impact in terms of getting guys healthy on the court and being able to play an entire season? It's not about, oh, well, now the games are more meaningful because there's only 60 of them compared to 80 of them. They're still meaningful, whether yeah. you have 80 or 60. But can we get guys healthy? That's the biggest problem that the NBA has right now. Yeah, and you and I had talked about maybe this was because of the whole 2020 thing and everyone you know, being stationary for so long and then going back to the NBA, maybe that created more injuries, stuff like that. Not quite sure. Um, for me, this really affects people going to go see games in person, right? Like whether it's 72 games, 82 games, like the national TV schedule is not going to change, right? There's so many games every day that we don't even get a chance to watch. If you have league pass, you can technically watch every single game, but do you have enough time to watch every single game? No, because there's so many games happening. So as far as like nationally televised games on regular TV, I don't think those will be affected at all. However, there will be quite a few games that, you know, like when you and I traveled back to Sacramento and we're like, okay, let's go see a Kings game. Oh, they're on the road this week. We missed out. We were only there for a week. We missed out because they were on the road. If you have less games, it's more chances stuff like that is going to happen. As far as the health like of the players goes, I don't really know how many games they need to play, how much time they need off between games. And it's probably different for every single person too, right? So that's going to be hard to kind of balance out there. But I think you're right. This comes down to money is the main issue, right? And if the NBA comes down to money for the owners. Yeah. Well, also for the players too, right? Because if the NBA is like, okay, we're listening to the players. They don't want to play 82 games. They want to play 72 because they're, they're healthier or something like that. The first thing the NBA or the owners are going to go back is they're going to say, okay, well, are you players willing to take less money? Because you're playing 10% less games. We're going to cut your checks by 10%. You think the players are going to want to do that? Probably not. They're going to say, uh, yeah. why would I, I do mean, that I, when I just I sign up for 82 games and I rest and when white, I need to? But I, th I think there might be other ways that they could make up the, whether it's through the TV deals or revenue sharing or, or something. That it's I don't know if it would just be as simple as, well, we're taking 10 games away, we cut your checks by 10%. I mean, how else do you do that? The money is definitely going to be less. How are you going to bring in more revenue with less games? Well, I don't have the answer for that, and that's why I'm not in the in Adam Silver's position. I wouldn't want to be. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, definitely there there will be less money. It, again, it, it's just about you want to see the best product on the court. So, and... I think what people have to keep in mind here is Adam Silver has not necessarily said that they are shortening the season or that that's the right thing to do or that players will be more healthy. He mm -hmm. hasn't said any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. In fact, he said the direct opposite. He said that it, we had a 72-game season last year 
and there was no direct correlation with fewer injuries. The problem is, or the problem that I think will be, uh, will prevent us from actually knowing, finding out the answer to this is you need time for that data. Yeah. They're not going to try and say, okay, we're going to have a 72 game season for the next five years to see if injuries are, are less. And if they are, then we'll go back to 82 games. They're not going to do that. So that's what makes this really difficult. And is five years even enough sample exactly. size, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. And, and you're right. You had a good point. He, he did not say that they're shortening the season. All he said was he was not against shortening the right. season. It's going to be something that the NBA and the NBA Players Association is going to have to figure out because, yeah, for me, if you're going to have less games, that means less money. And that means probably less money for the owners, probably less money from the play or for the players. So if they're able to figure out another way to bring in revenue, like this mid-season tournament or something like that, which adds more games, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Something to definitely keep an eye on. I know Progressive G doesn't want to shorten the season. I mean, I don't want to either, but maybe that's just me being selfish. I, I don't really know the correct answer. I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm all for as many games as you'll put on TV. I'll watch them. Yeah. But at the same time, if I try to watch the Lakers 17 times and Anthony Davis and LeBron James aren't playing for 15 of those games, I'm probably not going to watch the Lakers after that. Like, Does that have anything to do with the season of being shortened, though? Well, that's the thing. That's what yeah. we're trying to say here yeah. is, is, is there – a way to get guys back on the court or have there be less, uh, you know, in the last two or three years, the number of major, major players getting injured, I don't know the, the actual statistics or numbers on this, but it feels like it's a lot more than I remember watching basketball. Like yeah. that, that's a problem that the NBA has to adjust or, or to address, whether that's shortening the number of games or finding out other ways like they've been doing in recent years with the fewer back-to-backs, fewer three games in four days. that That's the bigger problem here. Yeah, I think Progressive G also has a good point, is maybe the last 10 years, maybe it's been longer, where players kind of started getting paid big, big, big money as opposed to like the 80s and the 90s, stuff like that. So there's kind of been a more like – is it worth me sacrificing myself for this one or two games when I could lose out on $200 million over the next five years if I have an injury? We, we didn't really see that before, right? Like, it was, a, if I can play, I'm playing because my team needs to win. And all I care about is winning games and being on the court versus now it's kind of everyone's their own brand. It's more individualized. You have guys like Kawhi Leonard that will just sit out an entire season and not tell anybody what's going on with him. Uh, so it, it's definitely an interesting situation. Um, all right, next up, let's talk a little bit about the Lakers. You mentioned the Lakers. They are welcoming their head coach officially today. I watched his press conference this morning, Darvin Ham. There's also another name that's attached to the Lakers. You want to inform us, Cal? Yeah, Rashid Wallace is going to be joining Darvin Ham's staff as an assistant. Uh, if case anybody didn't know, he was most recently an assistant coach at University of Memphis with Penny Hardaway, which is just still crazy in itself to me. Can you imagine being a D1 recruit and yeah. all of a sudden Penny Hardaway and Rasheed Wallace come oh, to your house? Man. Hey, do you want to come play for us? 
that as an 18 year old kid, that would probably be Hard pretty to incredible. Say no. Hard to say no to that. Yeah. And so actually <clears throat> Penny Hardaway released a statement before this deal went down predicting that Rasheed Wallace would join Darvin Ham in LA or wherever he ended up being a wow. head coach. Apparently, if Darvin Ham would have gotten a head coaching position last year, Rasheed had already promised him he would be on his staff. The two of them, of course, played together and won a championship together in Detroit, so they've, they've been very close for a long time. And now, Rasheed Wallace will be uh, LeBron James's assistant coach. Yeah, the ball doesn't lie. We know that. Um, interesting here. And you have the connection with Penny Hardaway. And he has a connection with James Wiseman that hasn't worked out well with the Warriors. Do you think the Lakers could potentially make a deal for James Wiseman to bring him in? We know Anthony Davis doesn't like to play center. That could be a yeah. pretty interesting lineup. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I, I would find it unlikely. I, I think the Lakers, it, it, any trade that they're going to be making is going to involve Russell Westbrook. And I, I don't think that there's really going to be much of a um, a mutual market in yeah. return for him right now. So they're going to probably have to work the waiver wire and free agency hard to fill out the rest of the roster instead of a trade. We've seen guys like this get bought out in the past. It, it's something to keep an eye on this offseason. Uh, the Russell Westbrook situation, man, the dude has fallen so fast. I, I really root for him. I, I hope he can he can get it back next season because he is a lot of fun to watch. But and uh, Darvin Ham had some interesting things to say about Russell Westbrook during that yeah. introductory press conference. I also found it interesting that Russell Westbrook was there yeah. while he was saying all of, or being asked all of those questions. So it's like, does he is he giving his actual <laughs> honest answer there, or is he just saying that because Russell's in the building? Yeah, and and uh, Darwin's been touted as a no BS guy, uh, so you got to think he's giving the correct answers. You know, if if you go into that locker room and you're not telling it like it is from day one, they are going to push back pretty hard. So yeah. I, I think he will be fine. Interesting, interesting. Boo Lakers, boo Lakers. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Michael Beasley. Uh, he signs a contract with the Shanghai Sharks. He's heading back overseas. I read an article on him, I think it was two days ago. I think it was on Saturday. And he was talking about his struggles in the NBA, his struggles off the court, how he's needed help from people. And uh, he kind of drew the line between him and Delonte West about both having, you know, incredible careers or, or starts to their careers and then kind of falling down this dark path. He specifically said, I need help. Please help me. Do I have to be end up like Delonte West for somebody to help me? Which was pretty interesting. And then I read this today that he signs with the Shanghai Sharks. Any thoughts here? Um, I Well, just like you mentioned earlier, I was – Shocked to find out how many different times he's actually played in China. This is like his fourth or fifth stint yep. playing in China. He's played in Puerto Rico. He's played for a bunch of NBA teams. Dude's 33 years old now. And, man, I just, seven-figure deal is what he got. Got it. It pays to be good at basketball. 
Yeah, it says he hasn't played an NBA game since 2018-2019 with the L.A. Lakers. He didn't play in the 2019-2020 season after signing with the Brooklyn Nets because he tested positive for COVID. He was supposed to play in the bubble and then never got there. That's tough. That's tough. And then we, we had the... We had the marijuana suspension and all yeah. that stuff, too. Yeah. Seven figures. That's good. Good for him. Michael, it's never too late to turn it around, man. That, that That's awesome. I hope you do really well uh, with the Sharks. Yeah, definitely wish him the best of luck. Says this is his second stint with the club. He played for them in 2014-2015. He's played for two other teams in the CBA, uh, the Chinese Basketball Association, he played for the Shangdong Golden Stars in 2015-2016. I'm going to butcher all these names. I was just going <laughs> to say the Southern Tigers in 2019. And uh, most recently, like you said, in Puerto Rico. Man, that's cool, man. When, when we were in Puerto Rico, that would have been a lot of fun to go see one of those games. Yeah, see Michael Beasley play. Every time <laughs> I think of Michael Beasley, I just can't get that Dan Levitard <laughs> yeah. video out of my head. <laughs> what does he say? He says... There's uh, over 3,000 kinds of or species of trees in Indiana, Indiana and yeah. Michael Beasley's fitting to smoke all of them. <laughs> oh, best quote ever. He was uh, drafted number two overall to the Miami Heat right behind Derrick Rose in the 2008 NBA draft. Man, what a what a fall for him. That's That's quite unfortunate, but hey. You got to play in the NBA. You got to get drafted. I know, you know, it's not all perfect, but uh, but there's a lot of positives about Michael Beasley for sure. Yeah, I mean, he just signed a seven-figure deal to go play basketball in China. So it's, it's yeah, so it hasn't been all bad for him. He's going to be okay. It hasn't been all bad. He's going to be okay. Not that I want to be going to China right now, but whatever floats your boat. All right, next Better up. Better than Russia, I guess. Quinn Snyder officially steps down as the head coach of the Jazz, quoting, they need a new voice. Wow, Calvin, you and I expected this. This is one of the reasons why originally I wanted the Kings to wait on their head coaching search because guys like Quinn Snyder could potentially be available. I know uh, Donovan Mitchell is not happy. Um what does this mean for Quinn Snyder? What does this mean for Utah? What does this mean for, for Donovan Mitchell? Uh, well, for Utah, it means a lot of things are now really, really up in the air. I, I think we we kind of we both predicted this to happen the right way. I, you know, I said on this show that I don't think we're going to see the same Utah Jazz next year. Mm-hmm. I just didn't expect it to happen the way that it's happening. Apparently, Donovan Mitchell or the the Jazz basically pleaded with Quinn Snyder for a couple weeks leading up to this decision for him to stay. Yep. And that signals to me that they want to keep Donovan Mitchell and they're not maybe as worried about losing somebody like Rudy Gobert. Now that he's decided he's going to leave, regardless of the situation, Donovan Mitchell is reportedly unnerved by it, questioning what this means for the future of the franchise, all that stuff. As he should be. As he should be. So this, to me, signals the beginning of a fire sale, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. Danny Ainge is the new uh, team president there. He wants to put his own stamp, his own mark on this team. 
Um, I, I would have suggested to him that he is off to a very good start with the group that he already has, and maybe a complete rebuild's not the way to go. Yeah. But that they might be headed down that path now because if Mitchell turns around and says, I want out, then you basically have to start giving away everything. And there's no reason to keep Rudy Gobert for me at that point either. Like, yeah. I'm trying to get as much in return for these guys while I still can at, at when their value is high. You know, picks, Oklahoma City, I'd be calling up them, mm-hmm. seeing how many draft picks I can grab. Uh, you, you know, I think they're they're headed down a, a rough rough road here. Yeah, maybe D-Wade bought, bought high on this franchise. Yeah. It seems like just a year ago they were like number one in defensive rating, number one in three point shooting, couple injuries, and they've best record in the NBA. Fallen hard, fallen extremely hard. Progressive G says Mark Jackson or Doc Rivers to Utah. I have no idea. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like Calvin said, did a complete fire sale and they started over from scratch and got a rookie head coach that's never coached anywhere ever before, as far as NBA teams. Um, it's, it's interesting. Where is Donovan Mitchell going to go? Yeah. I mean, already, there's already been rumors about him, you know, before the news of Quinn Snyder stepping down trade to Miami for Tyler hero has been brought up a bunch of times. The Knicks are now back in the the fold again. Um, so I think, look, all 30 or all 29 teams, well, all 30, Utah should want him too, but Mm -hmm. all 30 teams are going to have an interest in Donovan Mitchell, it's just a question of what it takes to get him, and are the Jazz actually going to make that move? I like that Tyler Hero for Donovan Mitchell trade if I'm Utah. I like that trade a lot. I actually like that if I'm Miami, too. That gives me a young guard to build around. Um, but the biggest question mark for me is what happens with Gobert, right? Because he makes so much money. Can you get any yeah. value from him, or is he just basically a salary cap dump? You mentioned the Warriors as a, a team that might be interested in him. If I could find any way, if I'm Utah, to get James Wiseman or a Moody or a Kaminga and get off of that huge contract, I might not even want any draft picks. Just to think that, like, if I was able to start in next year with, like, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Tyler Hero, I think that's a great start for Utah. But they have a ton of work to do this offseason. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely are going to have – there's a lot of teams that we've talked about as have potentially having a very interesting or mm-hmm. noteworthy offseason. Utah might have just moved up to the front of the list now. Right. Uh, what do you think as far as Quinn Snyder? Does he coach in the NBA next year? Next year, I'm not sure. And, and I'm not saying that because I don't think he's deserving or a good coach. I think he's a very good coach. But – the problem for him with waiting as long as he did is now there's only two teams left that have coaching vacancies. Yep. That's Utah, who he's probably not going to coach for, and Charlotte, who they're already supposedly getting close to narrowing down their coaching search and making a decision. I don't know if this will change that. Maybe they decide that they want to interview him. I know Mike D'Antoni is meeting with Michael Jordan about the coaching vacancy at some point this week, I think maybe within the next day or two um but if charlotte decides to hire somebody else whether it's kenny atkinson or d'antoni or somebody that pretty much means quinn snyder's gotta wait until next year or unless somebody fires their coach halfway through the season yeah maybe he'll maybe he'll you know pick up an assistant coaching job here but 
I would not expect him to be coaching in the NBA next year. And, you know, if I'm him, I I really don't understand why a lot of these coaches get fired or, or quit a job and then they just jump right back into it. Like maybe you need a year off to kind yeah. of decompress, to figure things out, figure if this is like a place you actually want to be because being that high like the Jazz were and just falling this far this fast has got to be exhausting mentally. And when you're the head coach, everything is your fault, right? Even if it's yeah. not, it's all your responsibility. So I would not blame him if he chose to take a year off. I would not blame him at all. All right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up the show here with just uh, some more NBA Finals talk, and then we will jump into Q&A. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to post them in the chat. And uh, we got answers. So, Calvin, game... Three is on Wednesday. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this. We got tomorrow's show. We got Wednesday's show. Mm-hmm. But it's official. They're heading back to Boston for game three on Wednesday. The series is tied 1-1. Uh, and this will be the first game in Boston this series. It's going to be interesting, Calvin. I, I feel like some hometown cooking for Boston will definitely help alleviate the loss from the last game. And I also think that Draymond Green cannot be the way he was in game two and stay on the court in game three. <laughs> what are your thoughts here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that this series is is starting to come down to Tatum was much better in game two than he was in game one. Brown was not quite as good. He started off hot, had a really good like first five minutes of that first quarter. And I was kind of thinking that, you know, maybe he watches our show or something because we said after game one that that might be the matchup they need to go at. But it's become obvious to me that it's about the supporting cast for this team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got a huge performance from Al Horford, Derek White, and Marcus Smart all in game one. And in game two, White had 12 points, I believe, but Horford and Smart just four points combined. So... They, they need the rest of those guys to be productive in order to beat a team like the Warriors because the Warriors are such an equal opportunity team. I mean, yes, Steph is Steph, um, but they've got so many different options that they can run through. And, and when you're Boston, yes, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are a great start, but the Warriors are a really good defensive team too. You, they're going to force other guys to beat them. And in game one, Al Horford did, basically. Yeah. So they they need those guys to step up for them in, in at home in Boston and and generally speaking those all those guys have played better at home anyway, so that they have that to their advantage. Um, from a defensive standpoint, though, the Celtics need to do a much better job, like they did in Game One, of closing off the paint. It, it was way too easy for the Warriors to get inside. Too many dump offs. Too many easy layups um, and dunks. And Steph Curry. God, he's such a problem. I, I yeah. don't really know how you defend him, but Marcus Smart is supposed to be one of the best guys in the league at defending him. Mm-hmm. I think he's shooting 57% from the field and 40% from three when Smart is the primary defender on him. Wow. <laughs> Steph will just continue to eat you away yeah. you know, over the course of a series. And it, he's such a difficult problem because he's one of the only players in the league that – 
you could look at and say, okay, every, anytime he has the ball, we're either going to double him or when they set a screen for him, we're immediately going to trap it and force it out of his hands. And that might work for a possession or two. And then the Warriors will say, all right, we're not going to let Steph bring the ball up. We'll just have Clay or Jordan Poole or Draymond bring the mm -hmm. ball up, and Steph is going to run circles around the defense, and eventually he'll be open for a shot. And th that's all he needs is one shade. Yep. You know, he, he's one of those guys that the ball can be in his hands for – 20 of the 24 seconds or a half mm -hmm. of 24 seconds and he's still going to get a good shot off clay thompson also clay thompson as well and, and the celtics have been lucky that clay has not played that well because if he had if he has played like the clay that we're used to yep. the warriors are not only up 2-0 but they're completely dominating the series so I, I don't know after game one i felt like boston should be feeling better than the warriors after game two i'm not so sure anymore yeah, I think that this Boston team is, you know, unexperienced in terms of like players being in the finals or winning a championship, but their head coach has a lot of experience and their franchise just has a lot of experience. They have guys to lean on like KG, Paul Pierce, uh, all these, you know, historic veterans that I'm sure are available for any of these uh, Celtics players to call at any time with any questions, any concerns, any, you know, thoughts or anything that they need help with. So they have all that up for me. Boston needs to respond in game three, how golden state did in game two, golden state lost game one. They got bullied in game one. They did the bullying in game two. I think Boston needs to be the bully here in game three. I think they need to be extremely physical with Steph Curry they need to get the ball out of his hands, and they just need to beat him up, whether it's, uh, you know, with screens, whether it's, you know, just being physical, getting in his head, getting in his face. Marcus Smart needs to pick up at least four or five fouls in this game on Steph Curry, just being physical, bumping him off his spot. I think that's the, the only way you can really get and affect a guy like Steph Curry's game Unless Steph Curry is just making shots and then he just does an incredible job with that and he's really impossible to stop. So you got to be physical. You got to try and get him off his game. And then I, I'm looking for the referees to clamp down on Draymond Green in this game. I really do. I think they're they're going to hear. So you're asking for a lot of help from the officials in this game. Oh, I'm game not either. asking for a lot of help. I'm just saying the backlash that they've probably received over yeah. the past couple yeah. days. The NBA office is probably like, Keep this series under control before it gets out of control. And the number one guy for that is going mm -hmm. to be Draymond Green. And he's not going to get away with the stuff he did at home in Boston. He's just not. Like, whether the fans get into it, whether the coaching staff, I don't know what. But Boston has a good chance in this game. They need to be physical. And uh, I, I'm picking them to win game three. But we'll see. We'll see what happens here in the next couple days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I agree with, with what you said. Um, one thing I, I think that's also not going to get talked about enough here is the impact that Gary Payton has to this Warriors team. Didn't play in game one, led the team in minutes off the bench in game two. More minutes than Jordan Poole. Not a flashy game in terms of the box score, only seven points, three of three from the field, but he is such an integral part of what this team does. Uh, another guy that really knows how to move without the ball offensively makes great cuts uh, and they're always going to find him, you know, for those backdoor cuts for layups, but defensively his 
impact on this team can't be understated or overstated, I think. Um, for a small guard, he's able to match up against bigger guys pretty easily. He plays the passing lanes very, very well, and he adds a dimension to them defensively uh, that, that really, really helps get this team going, get them out in transition, all that stuff. So I thought he was huge for them in game two. Progressive G says, do you think Jason Tatum will finally take over one of these games? I feel like he's been a little disappointing so far. Um, a little disappointing, yes. I, I think he's actually, for what the Warriors are doing to him defensively, I think he's played really, really well. I mean, yes, he shot horribly in game one, but he still ended up with 13 assists, totally finals, changed finals his record. I don't think is that a finals I record? I think it's a 13 finals, assists. I think it's a finals assist record. Wow. Uh either way, it, he totally took what the defense was giving him in game 1 um and I thought he he would made a really really great adjustment in the second half and then in game 2 he was much much better. You know, he hit, he shot the three much better. Uh so will he take over a game? I mean, he's certainly capable. Um I I don't think that the way the the Warriors are trying to play this, they're going to give him that opportunity. But just like you said with Steph, you know, he's that good that you can be right in his face and he hits a bunch of shots in a row. Jason Tatum could do the same thing. So, so 13 assists for him is a career high NBA record for a player making his finals debut and the second most ever in a finals game one, only trailing magic Johnson. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, to elaborate on what what Calvin said, maybe he needs to, or he hasn't taken over the game, like, scoring-wise, which I do expect him to take over one of these games. Um, But he did a lot of the other things in game one and game two, like passing the ball, getting his teammates involved, and uh, more of, like, taking what the defense gave him instead of, like, trying to put his imprint on the game of, like, this is me. I'm the big guy on the Celtics. I'm going to have 40 points, and I'm going to will us to a victory. It's more like, okay, you're going to play me like that? Okay, well, I'm going to pass the ball. You're going to double me? I'm going to pass the ball. And I think that that's maybe like kind of like a poker hand, right, where you you kind of work with them a little bit in the beginning. You give them what they think they want, and then he's going to have one of these games, I think, where he explodes for 30, 40 points. Yeah, I was going to say, in front of the home crowd, I definitely expect him to come out very aggressive early on looking to score. Progressive G says, two games in, who is the MVP favorite right now on each team? Uh, I think it's really easy to say it's Steph Curry for the Warriors. Very, very Uh, easy. What do you think as far as the Celtics? That that one's really tough. I mean, after game one, probably Jalen Brown or Al Horford were pretty much split favorites, I would say. You could make a case for either one. After game two, it's probably Jason Tatum for me, but I think it's a very, very even race between three guys probably on that squad as opposed to the Warriors. It's it's a no-brainer, yeah. Steph Curry, obviously. Yeah, bearing any, anything huge that happens for sure. Yeah, you agree. They got to play physical, 80s and 90s basketball, rough curry up. That's the only way to get this guy off his shot, man. It, it really is. It, it really is. All right, Calvin, anything else you want to say before we wrap up the show? Thanks for watching. Hope you all had a great weekend.
yeah, thank you guys for watching. We appreciate you all. Make sure you join us live tomorrow, Tuesday. We're going to be talking some more NBA Finals. We're going to rebuild the Rockets, the Thunder, the Blazers, and the Kings all on the podcast tomorrow. So thank you all so much for watching. Please hit the like button. Please subscribe to the channel. Don't forget we're also on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Podcasts, all that fun stuff as well. So thank you all so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. And don't forget to tip your bartender.